and welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Conley here with Megan Gower. We are recording again, fitting this in between our various vacations, as has been the case for most of the summer. But we do have some good news about the show. At long last, I think we probably just hit our two-year show anniversary. I actually have no idea when our first episode was. I That's do something I'm... remember. It's August 20th because it's my birthday. <laughs> We recorded our first podcast on your birthday? Well, it came out on my birthday. I think we recorded it like two days before or something, but yeah. <laughs> did we acknowledge this on the podcast? I think we did on the second one. I probably didn't mention on the first one. <laughs> Actually, no, this is ringing a bell because I think we recorded it, put it out, and then the very next day I see it's your birthday. So then the next time we recorded, I had to yell at you for not telling <laughs> me it was your birthday the day before we were recording. <laughs> Although, in fairness, I don't tell anyone my birthday either, so I understand it. Okay, so we have a month. We are at our 23-month show. Is anniversary the right word? I think it is. I feel like, yeah, why not? (laughs) Sure, we'll take it. 23-month anniversary hasn't necessarily been once every two weeks in the summer, but we do have some good news. After all this time being on the UConn blog feed, if that's how you get your podcast and you don't go through the page online on the UConn blog, we finally have our own podcast feed. It is just Chasing Perfection. It will just have Chasing Perfection on it. And you can find the link to that in the show notes here. If you're listening to this through the article, you can, it'll be linked in the article. We'll also put out a big note about it on the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. We're going to have a separate short little episode, not even episode, just informer piece on the UConn blog feed telling you where to go. So trust me, there will be plenty of places to find it if you're still having trouble. And we'll still post the next couple of episodes on the UConn blog feed just to drag everybody over in case you miss an episode or two. Because... Let's be honest, if we're not even managing to record every single week or every other week on schedule, we can't be expecting every listener to be listening to every single episode. But those of you that do, thank you. You guys are the best. I can think of who some of you are. But (laughs) anyways, we do have our own feed. We have our own podcast logo. We also, it's being hosted on Substack. So if you want your own or if you want an email every time we post an episode, you can subscribe on Substack. That's chasingperfection.substack.com. Very simple. Again, we'll have links to it everywhere, but it's going to be very easy to find. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're not on Stitcher because I can't figure it out. But as I said last episode, I think I'm the only person on the planet who uses Stitcher. So if you're another weirdo like me that uses Stitcher, please let me know and I will make another attempt, but I don't know why it's being very difficult. Anyways, we have our own feed. That's the short of it. The links will be anywhere you try and look. And I'm very excited about it. Lots of possibilities opening up with it. Yeah, definitely. Very exciting. Long time coming and very exciting. Yes, this was something that we talked about before we started the podcast. <laughs> so it took a little bit of time. We got there eventually. Feels like a very apt motto for the show. Took a little bit of time. <laughs> got there eventually. It's okay. 
still making progress, but to get onto the team news, a lot has happened since we last recorded. We've been a lot of places since we last recorded. We've talked to a lot of people since we last recorded. And without fail, I went on vacation. And if you don't know at this point, it's no matter when I go on vacation, there's news that is guaranteed to drop every single time. This year, UConn released its non-conference schedule. And there were actually some surprises to it. It wasn't just the stock teams that we had already had down. The least of the surprises, but still something new, was that UConn will play Texas at home. That series had been rumored and reported, but not actually ever confirmed by the team. That'll be at home on November 14th. UConn didn't announce any of the Gamble or XL games as well, or the Times or the TV news, anything like that. So it's just the games and the dates, but still, it's pretty far along. So the other surprise is they're going to open the season on November 10th against Northeastern, and they will also play former UConn player Carla Berube's Princeton team at home on December 8th. I don't know how they did it. I thought they were at the limit if they added Texas. Maybe they got a waiver. Maybe the NCAA changed its game limits, but I thought they were at the NCAA game limit with everything else that we knew, which we'll roll through it. It's Northeastern November 10th, Texas November 14th, NC State November 20th. Then they fly out to Portland for PK85. November 25th is probably going to be Iowa, but it could be Duke or Oregon State if the organizers of this tournament are stupid then november 27th that's going to be either duke iowa or oregon state they come back or actually they don't come back after that they go to south bend to play notre dame in the jimmy b classic on december 4th that's going to be on abc then they return home december 8th for princeton three days later december 11th they travel down to maryland college park to take on the terrapins December 18th, they go to Mohegan Sun for the Women's Hall of Fame Showcase against Florida State. And their only game in the new year this year, actually, I'm sorry, there's two more in the new year. February 5th is South Carolina at home. And then date still is not announced. I would guess it's probably the last week of January because that's when the previous renewed rivalry games have been. That's at Tennessee. And that rounds out the non-conference schedule. So, oh. And I should mention an exhibition against Cutstown on November 6th. I'm going to guess that's going to be a gamble, but you know, you never know. They <laughs> seem to switch it up more than they have in the past recently. Having said all of that, the additions to the schedule are pretty great. Northeastern is more or less a glorified exhibition to kick off the season. So you're not opening the season with a really tough opponent. You're going to have a sellout in that game anyways. You want a little bit of wiggle room to have a tough performance. Texas would have been very tough as a season opener. NC State, I don't think, would have been easy. Princeton probably would have been pretty tough. That's a really nice opener. And then to get to that Princeton game, this is a really big season, I think, for Carla Berube's team because it's been such a choppy tenure for her so far. She came in, had a really good first season. COVID comes. She doesn't even get a second season. Then this past year was her second season. She's been there for a long time and only has two seasons to show for it. Now you'd think that she's starting to mold this team into her image, this program into her image, already a pretty good program. 
it'll be see, it'll be interesting to see how they stack up to UConn, especially because UConn's going to have five games, six games, seven games. I'm good at math. No, six games under their belt by that point. Yeah, I think that game should be a good game to watch in general. I mean, it's not going to be a close game, but it's also not going to be a super easy game for UConn. Princeton's been really solid. They've been at the top of the Ivy League, been an NCAA tournament team in the last couple of years, but they've had a season. So I think it's still going to be a good game to have on the resume, a good win for UConn when we get to the end of the season. Right. Those are the games that are perfect in non-conference schedules because you're not going to be able to schedule one through 10 in the AP poll every single year, simply because you don't know how teams are going to be in certain years. You schedule these things a couple years in advance. Some teams are better than you think they're going to be. Some teams are worse than you think they're going to be. Notre Dame, the last couple of years being the example, when UConn signed the series, Notre Dame was still a national power or they were only a year removed from being a national power. Notre Dame could be a pretty interesting team. They're still just not at that level that they were when the rivalry was at its best. But again, those middle tier games where they're going to give UConn a challenge, but their games, UConn's probably going to win. This schedule feels like it's stacked full of them, whether it's NC State, the three teams in the PK-85, Duke, Iowa, Oregon State, Notre Dame. Notre Dame could be sneaky good this year. I don't want to write them off completely. Princeton, Maryland. Then you also have those top level teams in Texas, obviously South Carolina, Tennessee. And then you have a couple easy ones in Northeastern. And I'm throwing South or not South Carolina, Florida State into the easy category too. I don't think they're going to be much of a challenge. I think next to Northeastern, Florida State's going to be the easiest game and the widest margin for UConn. No, yeah, that's a lie. It's going to be Iowa. <laughs> I would agree that Florida State is probably the easiest game. At least Iowa, you have to do something with Caitlin Clark. So there's at least that part of interest. But, but yeah, I mean, they've got the kind of perfect combination, right? You've got the South Carolina game that's going to be, assuming everyone's healthy, like UConn and them are going to be 1A and 1B all season long. And then you've got Texas and Tennessee, which is going to be this next, I think the next tier of top teams, the country two teams that are going to be very, very good next season and then a bunch of teams that are going to be in the top 25 and then you've got florida state and northeastern but you want to start off with someone easy you don't want to be playing texas in that home opener which very well could have been what happened if that northeastern game doesn't sneak in there so you want something as a buffer to start it off and they get that with northeastern and then i don't know why i would have playing florida state in the hall of fame I, they should have switched that so they could have played like iowa state or something but whatever yeah it's painful that UConn's in a Women's Hall of Fame showcase where the other game is infinitely more interesting. Villanova and Iowa State. Maybe just Florida State was the only team that agreed to come and play in that game. Or maybe Florida State's one of the few teams where it lined up. Or maybe because Florida State's come before, they wanted the familiarity. I don't know. I really don't like it. It really sticks out on this schedule. You've got such a great slate. And then Florida State. Yeah. I guess it's still an ACC team, so it's still a team that shouldn't be horrible, but, like, it's just, yeah, it's it's not exciting, and it's, it feels like something better could have gone in there. They did make the tournament kind of last year. Did they? Do we? I think they were one of those 11 seeds that played uh, in the first okay. four, but I think they got knocked out in the first four, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly. 
You are right. They were a team that maybe shouldn't have made the tournament, but that's an argument for another time. (laughs) (laughs) People do forget that Florida State almost upset UConn in the 2016-17 season opener, and then that team... It was good. They were good at one point, though. I feel like that was around the time that they were pretty good. Well, it's just funny because that team struggled so much in their first game, and then obliterated every single team in their path after that until Tulane continued going on a tear and then got upset by Mississippi state. So it's such a weird outlier in that season where, Oh yeah, we kind of thought they were going to suck for a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But then they didn't. Very strange. It was anyways. The other thing that stands out to me about this schedule is remember last year, how we did the fun little thing where, they would play no games and then a bunch of games in a row and then no games. It's much more balanced this year. November 6th to November 10th to November 14th to November 20th to November 25th and 27th to December 4th, December 8th, December 11th, December 18th after finals. That is so much more balanced. It's a much more normal flow of games. It's not just going to be the start and stop You play three games in three days and then no games for 10 days. That was probably one of the weirdest things about last year and why it made that first half so hard to judge, especially even before Paige Beckers got hurt because there wasn't any of that continuity. It feels like it's just going to have a normal flow to a season this year. And whatever happens, it'll feel easier to react to because it's just this normal cadence of games. Yeah, and it also feels like there's a pretty good balance of home and away games here. I feel like, I mean, this could still happen because we haven't seen a conference schedule yet, but it felt like at the end of last season, it was like they hadn't been home for so long and then they were just home like three days a week and it was crazy where hopefully you'll get a little bit more balance on that front this year too. Also something we talked about, I think it was last episode, where we were saying that it would be nice to have a few more home games They have a pretty good slate of home games now. Three to open the season. You got that one against Princeton, and then you have the big marquee matchup against South Carolina on top of the 10 Big East games. That's 15 games at home. Actually, that's not even counting the game at Mohegan Sun. So that's essentially 16, 17. Then the three Big East tournament games at Mohegan Sun. Then you've got the two first round games at home before going to God knows where for the regionals. That's a lot of times to watch them at home. And hopefully the Big E schedule is still balanced too, where it's not like all these games are going to be at one end of the schedule or not, or all XL or Gample is going to be stacked at one end or the other. Cause it feels like it's been that way for a couple of years now where we haven't just had anything that's balanced where it's pretty easy to figure it out. Agreed. But yeah, it should be a really good slate of home game for people that are buying, you know, season tickets and things between South Carolina, Texas, Princeton, all at home, and NC State too, in terms of non-conference. And then you're going to get good games in conference too with Nova and Creighton. So it should be a really good home slate overall. I was bored in the airport while I was coming home from Chicago, from Chicago last week. And someone asked me who UConn's rival is going to be in 2030. And it stumped me a little bit because... There's so many different things to consider. And in that, what's UConn going to be like in 2030? 
is Don Staley still going to be coaching at South Carolina in 2030? Because it seems like every other word that comes out of Don's mouth is, I don't want to coach forever. I'm not going to be doing this all that long. Who's going to be the good team in 2030? Is UConn even going to be in a position where it's them against that team for supremacy, the way it was with Notre Dame, the way it is with South Carolina right now, the way it was with Tennessee? So taking all those things into account, I don't think it's that hot of a take because, or it's that hot of a take to say that Gino's probably not going to be coaching at UConn yeah. in eight years. I don't think it's that hot of a take to say that UConn probably isn't going to be the team to beat in the country. So I picked Villanova because, you know, when I like immediately tweeted it, I said it in that Villanova is going to be really good. And then I'm like, wow, this actually could be taken that I think UConn is going to suck and they're going to be battling with Villanova in just the biggest. <laughs> no, I think Villanova is going to be really good and has the highest potential of any other Big East program to turn into a national power. So I believe that's why Villanova is going to be UConn's biggest rival in 2030, not because UConn's going to suck. I feel like after the last few weeks, the thought that the Big East is still going to exist in the 2030 is probably a bold statement, but yeah. <laughs> it's a great point. I actually didn't even think of that. <laughs> Who knows what, like, cause sports will even look like in 2030 at this point. That's fair because I was just going to say if any conference has a chance of surviving relatively intact right now, it's probably the biggies because football isn't really involved. This is true. This is true. But I don't know. It's still all a disaster. It's very interesting. Oh, 100%. If a sp- I mean, not that there wouldn't be benefits to UConn joining the ACC, and I promise this isn't going to turn into a conference realignment discussion, but UConn joining the ACC would probably hurt men's basketball, but oh my God, would it be a boon for women's basketball? You get the Louisville rivalry back consistently. Maryland went to the Big Ten, right? They're not in the ACC anymore. Yeah, they're in the Big Ten. Well, you you got Notre Dame back every single year. Are there any more up? Oh, you got Duke, UNC, Duke, UNC. I'm personally a big fan of her name's totally escaping me right now. Who's their coach at UNC? She used to be at Princeton. Courtney. Courtney Banghart. Yeah. Wow. I am quite embarrassed by that because I'm a big Courtney Banghart fan. Anyways, I think they're going to be a really good program. That would be such a fun league. I mean, no offense to the Big East, but some offense to the Big East. It's not a very fun league right now. It would be more competitive, that's for sure. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it all shakes out. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, that's a discussion for a different day and a different yeah. podcast. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of the future, though, what a transition. UConn has a new commitment since we last recorded. Caden Samuels, a 2023 wing is probably the best way to describe her. Big guard wing. She's listed as a forward by ESPN. She's most certainly not a forward. Six foot two out of Forestville, Maryland, a suburb of Washington. Number 35 player in the class by ESPN. I actually got to see her play out in Chicago. I went to Nike Nationals. Same time as the All-Star game. The best quick comparison I'll make for her is that 
she's Aubrey Griffin. If Aubrey Griffin was more guard oriented with a touch less athleticism because Aubrey Griffin's on a different planet. Caden Samuels is still very athletic, definitely plays more on the perimeter, but still will fly in for rebounds the same way that Aubrey Griffin was. That's my very quick comparison. I don't know how much sense that makes to anyone who's listening, but just had some Aubrey vibes to her, but plays more guard than forward. I think that makes sense. I at least somewhat understand what you're saying. She's supposedly a really good shooter, but she had a pretty rough time in Chicago. She did not hit many shots. Though someone did tell me that the weekend she committed to UConn, she basically shot the lights out. So my guess is she probably just had extra nerves or extra pressure on herself to perform at a really high level with the commitment to UConn and just struggled with her shot. But even still, she was making plays aside from shooting. Lots of rebounds, got some steals. Fun player to watch. You can definitely see what UConn liked in her. She told me that they said they were looking for a big guard. So think Caroline Ducharme, Lou Lopez Seneschal, Katie Lou Samuelson's obviously the big example. Really fits that mold. This is a very guard-heavy class now. You got KK Arnold, who, oh my God, is she going to be unbelievable? Ashlyn Shade, who I haven't said or who I haven't seen play. So I'm me not having some sort of compliment on her is not a knock. I just haven't seen her play. Three guards, all different guards, but still gonna fill up the backcourt to replace the class of Paige Beckers and Nika Mule will graduate when this class turns into sophomores. So good pickup. Not every single pickup is gonna be a top 10 recruit as it's been the last couple of years. So it feels like one of those players that you pick up on potential more so than who they are right now. Yeah, exactly. It feels like a really good addition to the roster as you're looking to how it's going to shape out in the next few years. And like you said, you've got a lot in the backcourt right now, but those players will kind of be on their way out as this class comes in. So they'll get a chance to learn from players like Beckers and Mule, but also have a lot of opportunity going into like a sophomore season. Another thing that stood out to me is her hair is just like Dee Dee Richards. And she said it, at, she actually modeled it after Dee Dee Richards because people were telling her that she played like that. So I don't think I ever watched enough Dee Dee Richards to say, oh yeah, that's a good comp. But, you know, maybe that sort same sort of stratosphere of players. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I've watched a lot of D.D. Richards, but I haven't watched a lot of samples. But if that's the comp, I feel like there could be a lot of defensive elements to her game, which would be good. Obviously, coming in at UConn, that's going to get you minutes quickly. Right. Definitely a 3 and D player to start. Then, you know, develop into something more. Whereas, like, Caroline Ducharme and Katie Lou Samuelson, I don't think we're getting minutes early in their careers because of their defense. No. <laughs> I know it's a hot take, but... <laughs> That's where she differs from those players. Caden Samuel is definitely going to be a defense first player when she gets to UConn. Yeah, that's always a good thing if you're trying to get minutes early on, especially in a in deep backcourt. Yeah, I mean, you lose Lou Lopez-Seneschal, but it's pretty much the exact same backcourt that you have this year. With all of these players a year older, a year better, assuming everyone stays around, mostly meaning assuming no one leaves for the draft early, meaning assuming Paige Beckers doesn't leave for the draft early. 
But speaking of those guards, KK Arnold is going to be so good. And I just want to be the one that starts driving that bandwagon because <laughs> she was also at Nike nationals and she just jumps off the page when you're watching her. She is so fast, so strong, so tough, great handles and is so good at getting inside. It's like this quick twitch move. She gets inside, draws fouls like that. And if the defense collapses on her, she kicks outside really a true point guard. Not that, Oh, this player's our best guard. She's going to be our point guard. No, no, no. She's a legit point guard, passes really well. It was tough to watch her on defense, but she at least has the energy and effort level to where you can say, all right, even if she's not a great defender, she has the desire to defend, which is the best you can ask for. And I really believe that UConn's short in the backcourt right now. If she could come in this year, I think she would contribute right away. That's how good I think she is. That's how good I think she's going to be. And she's still got basically a whole year of development before she even steps on the court in a UConn uniform. So KK Arnold, instant impact freshman. You heard it here first. How many bandwagons are you driving these days? I feel like there's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I generally have a few going. Well, Caroline Ducharme was my big one this past season. You know, no offense to Liv, I like her, but I'm glad to not be on that bandwagon <laughs> anymore. Although she is doing well with the Sparks, yeah. well enough with the Sparks. I mean, I don't know if I'm on the Nika Mule bandwagon because I think everyone acknowledges how great she is. I mean, I don't know if I'm not on the Nika Mule bandwagon. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, com- for my normal level of bandwagon driving, I think I'm on the lower end with just two. I mean, my other bandwagon right now is Caroline Ducharme is going to be an All-American next season. So, I think we talked about that last time. <laughs> yeah. So I think those are my two big ones right now, at least in terms of UConn women's basketball. I have plenty of others that I'm driving outside the UConn women's basketball realm. <laughs> I think. My, well, I mean, in the similar field is that I was just going to be God awful and Caitlin Clark's going to keep them afloat, but the rest of her team's just going to be trash and they're going to fall out of the rankings very quickly. But yeah, I think that that about sums up my major takes in women's college basketball right now. Fair. I don't know that I'm fully with you on the Iowa one. I think they're overranked. I don't think they're going to like fall out of the top 25. They did somehow come back and like win the Big Ten last year, which I have many opinions about the Big Ten. But yeah, is that <laughs> I don't know that, that you can win the Big Ten and not be a top 25 team. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we, we could save my take on the Big Ten for another podcast, but yeah, they're repeatedly like overhyped conference. No one plays any defense in that conference. No, that's that's going to be Wisconsin's. Uh, that's going to be how Wisconsin breaks into the Big Ten. Is they're going <laughs> to actually play defense, and their opponents are going to have no idea what's happening to them. Yeah, exactly. Wisconsin why the Big Ten always like does poorly when they get to the NCAA tournament. You can't actually win like tournament games against legit teams without any defense right and just for anyone not aware wisconsin is coached by former uconn assistant marissa mosley who's has caroline Doty as an assistant on her staff but first year they had a pretty rough first year which shouldn't be that unexpected with a rebuilding program like that it's amazing how many programs in women's college basketball have just done absolutely nothing wisconsin being one of them Not that they've like never been national title contenders. No, Wisconsin women's basketball has not done 
anything of note and have never really come remotely close to doing anything of note. They have never won the Big Ten. They've only gotten to the second round twice, and they did it in back-to-back years, and they only have seven NCAA tournament appearances. That's bad. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to investment. I think it's a big thing. Oh, 100%. It's like it's you see the same teams that have done things because it's the schools that have chosen to invest in their women's programs and then the ones that haven't have gotten left behind and are now trying to play catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, actually, I just thought of another bandwagon that I need to start driving. Here's <laughs> a name to remember. Ali Zebel the number nine player in ESPN's 2024 rankings. She's from Wisconsin. She's really good. She does not look the part at all. She does. If you just were trying to pick out who the best basketball player on the floor is, it would not be her, but she is just so savvy on offense. She has such a great feel of the court. She can just get the ball wherever she needs to. There's this one play. She had it on the left, not the left wing, but kind of, the left side of the court dribbled through, couldn't really get to the basket. So she took it out, backed up, then just pulled up and nailed a three. The reason I say this is because first I really want UConn to get her because (laughs) she's very fun to watch. So this is going to be, I'm going to personally start recruiting her because that's how much I enjoyed watching one half of her basketball at the tournament, but she had a very good tournament. It's not just that. However, if UConn does not get her, I want Wisconsin to get her so that they can get that first big player to get them moving in the right direction. And if Wisconsin doesn't get her, then I would like Marquette to get her because that means there's another really good player in the big East. And I at least get to watch her twice a year. So Ali Zebel, number nine player in the class guard five ten, She's really good. And I hope she ends up at one of those three teams in that order. Good to know. Yeah, that's my other bandwagon. The rest of 2024, I have no idea. Couldn't tell you a single thing about any of those. No, I could tell you a thing about the other players, but I don't feel like ripping a college kid. (laughs) Or not a college kid, a high school kid, let alone a college kid. What are they, like 15? Yeah. (laughs) Right, like a junior in college. We're We're not stepping there. But, you know, if you're looking for big in the class of 2024, who's ranked in the top 10, it ain't her. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Speaking of Chicago, if you want all of my insights from my three days there, you should subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly for recruiting coverage, stories with Cadence and KK, and my thoughts on what UConn should do with the classes of 2022 and 2023 based on the players that I saw. That's the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. You can find it UConnWBBWeekly.substack.com. You can sign up for $6 a month or $70 for the year. In addition to that recruiting coverage, you can get analysis, breakdowns, film reviews are going to be starting back up. Megan does some great stats pieces on there throughout the year. If you're a UConn fan and you're not subscribed to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly, you're missing out because it is coverage of the Huskies all year round. And we can do ad reads for our own things now that we have our own feed for Chasing Perfection. It is wonderful. But anyways, (laughs) moving on 
to the news from the summer. Since our last podcast, we had Gino Oriama's golf tournament where we got to speak with everybody on the team. In last episode, we talked about Easy Fudd's foot and how it was concerning that she wasn't participating in summer workouts. She talked about it. And the basis is that the foot just needs time to heal and there is nothing she can do to speed up that timeline. So it's just about letting it heal the right way. And that's a explanation that I can buy. I understand. And I am more than happy to go along with that doesn't mean I'm not concerned about that foot long-term or I'm not concerned about her injury issues long-term, but I think that's a pretty good reason for not participating. And she still can do some stuff. We don't even know what she can do at this point in the year because we're pretty much a month removed from that now. And we haven't been able to get any updates, but I feel much better about easy fun status now that we've been able to talk with her and get that update. Yeah, I would agree. It kind of sounds like it's just needs to take more time than she could take during the season. So hopefully the summer is enough time to get it, get everything right and to get her going for the season. I guess on the flip side of that, it means we also probably haven't really seen what a healthy AZ FUD looks like yet, which I think is an exciting, exciting prospect when you're thinking about how good she was, especially towards the end of last season. If that's not even her at full health, what she could look like with an off season under her belt and fully healthy is definitely exciting to think about for next year. Yeah. She did mention that she played with pain pretty much all last year, her entire, all her quotes about how last year went down were actually pretty interesting. She said that last year she rushed it to get back for the start of the season. And then that forced her to sit out and then she sat out, but then she still had to pay with pain. So she just wants to take the time now that she has it so that she feels good and can go into the season fully healthy. She didn't want to talk about what it was. She was asked specifically what the injury was and she listed off pretty much every single thing in the foot. I think she said it's a tendon, a ligament, a bone. It's in the foot, which doesn't really narrow it down there. Gino said it was a stress reaction last December. Whatever it is, it if it just needs time to heal, that's good. I actually don't think it's that surprising that we didn't see AZ at full health last year, though, because the entire offseason, all we heard from Gino is, yeah, she gets all this attention as a three-point shooter but she's a full basketball player. She's not just a three-point shooter. But then most of her freshman year, all we saw from her, not all we saw from her, but the majority of her shots were from three. So I wonder if that foot was bothering her, maybe that limited how much she could do, how much she could move around. So she just stayed to the perimeter where she could get open and limit how much that foot would bother her. So if we can see a more well-rounded AZ FUD, and still have that three-point shooting ability, that's where you can start to see why she was called a generational prospect and one of the best recruits ever to come out of high school because that shooting alone would make her one of the best players in the country. If you're talking about her being one of the best players in the country when you take out that shooting, that is a combination that I don't know we've ever seen at UConn or it's been a long time since we've seen. I mean, she's a next-level shooter. Like Diana Taurasi was a good shooter. Maya Moore was a good shooter. Paige Beckers is a good shooter. AZ Fudd's just on another level with it. Yeah, and I do agree that we didn't see as much of range in her offensive game last season. We saw more of that three-point shot, and that was a lot of it. But I do think we saw some of that being her being a complete basketball player on the defensive end because I think that's something she didn't necessarily get a lot of credit for in her freshman season. But overall, she's a 
really good defender, especially for a freshman that didn't even play like a good part of the first half of the season. I think that's a part of her game that's kind of flies under the radar, but it's also a part of why she's one of the better players in the country. And if that foot gets healthy, she's going to be that much better of a defender too. It all ties into the same thing. (laughs) If you're not fully healthy, every single aspect of your game is going to falter. Speaking of injuries, Aubrey Griffin talked about her back injury for the first time since ever, actually. We've never, we haven't talked with Aubrey, I believe, since last summer. And she said, she didn't really go into too much detail, but she said last preseason was probably when she knew that she was going to be out for a while. And she thinks she's going to be ready to be at full health soon. And remember, this is a month ago. And she believes she's going to be back this season. You know, AZ, I feel pretty good about that. Aubrey, there was just nothing that she said that made me go, oh yeah, she's going to be back fully healthy, full athleticism that we saw in the past, not going to skip a beat, actually going to be better than where she was in the past. Back surgeries, especially the kind that she had, that major of an injury, it's hard for anyone to come back from, let alone a college athlete, let alone a division one athlete, let alone a division one athlete whose calling card is her athleticism. If she doesn't have that, she's a completely different player. So I'm not saying that I don't think Aubrey is going to be back. I'm just still very skeptical about it and still a little cautious about expecting too much out of her. Yeah. And ultimately I think it's something we won't really know until we actually get to the season and and see her on the court. But I agree. It's a hard injury to come back from. It's a hard surgery to come back from. It's going to take time. And it's not to say even she can't play the way that she used to, she can't still be a really good player. She could adapt her game and play differently and still be really good, but it'll be interesting to see kind of what it looks like when we get to November. It will be a different role for her, assuming that she's back because her first two years, they really didn't have all that much front court depth. Right. So, you know, they had Aliyah Edwards the next year, but there's a lot more in the front court now than where there was in the past. So her first year she played because they simply had no one else and she deserved her playing time. That's not to say that she didn't deserve it this year. She's really going to have to earn that playing time even more. And we may not see her for as many minutes and I wouldn't be surprised if it was maybe a slower build into the season and she didn't necessarily necessarily play 15, 20 minutes off the bat. Maybe it was just smaller spurts and they build her up throughout the year just to make sure everything's a go. But like you said, until we see her on the court playing and doing what she did in the past, I'm just not going to put my expectations too high. Exactly. I mean, obviously we hope that everything's, good and she's ready to go but yeah absolutely it's it's such a serious thing to recover from yeah this is not anything anti-Aubrey Griffin it is wow back surgeries are terrible let's see if the super athletic kid can recover from it exactly let's just keep rolling on these injuries let's get to Dorothy (laughs) Uhas big expectations from Gino saying that he thinks he wouldn't be shocked if she was one of the five or six player top five or six players picked in the WNBA draft next season. But to do that, she's going to have to get a conditioning right because 
last year, she would have moments where she was really good. Then she would get tired and she would fall off and be less effective. And you have to pull her, let her catch her breath. And it was the cycle. If she could consistently play at the level she did that she would for the first two, three, four minutes, that suddenly changes the outlook because you could make an argument that she is the number one big on this year's team. Obviously, Aaliyah Edwards is going to have something to say about that, and she should have something to say about that. But we saw flashes of how good Dorky Juhas could be. If you can get that on a consistent level, I don't think what Gino said is all that hot takey. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's high praise because if you're looking at a WNBA draft class, that is the best that it's been in a while. I think, I mean, this year's class is doing well, but the last couple of classes haven't been all that exciting since really like the 2019 class with that Lou and Nafisa went in. And then there's been a little bit of a down, kind of a downward spiral on that. And now you're getting to a class that's really excited. We've got Leah Boston's coming up this year and Kaylee Jones. So to be a top five, top six pick in that group is, is high praise from Gino. Yeah. And you know, if anyone knows something about players that could go high in the WNBA draft, I think <laughs> he's got a little bit of experience in that regard. The interesting thing I saw or Dorka said was that it wasn't that she didn't put in the effort conditioning. She felt that she came into the season in really good shape, but she just had so many nagging injuries, whether it was she had a quad in the preseason, then she had a foot thing going on and, you know, things that Gino or that she may not have even mentioned or that we didn't know about prevented her from staying in that shape. So her focus this year, while she recovers from the wrist injury is to make sure is injury prevention, make sure she can avoid all of those nagging injuries so that she can stay healthy, stay in shape and be that consistent player that ends up as, you know, maybe a top five, six pick in the draft. And if you're a top five, six pick in the draft, then you're at least in the All-American conversation. Whether or not you are an All-American is a different story, but you're at least in the conversation. Yeah, I would agree with that. You're in the conversation, whether or not you're actually an All-American. I don't know, probably not. It's just like the class, the next class, the class of Paige, it was just such like, it's so stacked. There's so many talents now that are going to be All-Americans. And then you look at like, you've got AZ and yeah, it's, it's a hard club group, I think, to break into. There's a lot of talent in women's college basketball right now, but I think she's still going to be one of the better players in the country. You know, a lot of times I think UConn players almost get knocked because they're UConn players and people think, oh, they're only All-Americans because they play at UConn. I think this is a case where Dorka could actually benefit from playing at UConn, where if you have a UConn big putting up, you know, let's just say that she's averaging a trip or not a triple double and a double double. <laughs> well, she averages For- a triple double. I think she's going to be an All-American. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. (laughs) Let's let's say she averages 13 points a game and 10 rebounds a game. Those are big numbers, especially to put up at UConn and especially against the competition that UConn is going to be playing. So it's not like she's, I mean, they largely (laughs) will be inflated by playing the bad teams with no size in the big East, but there will at least be enough of a sample size against some really good teams that are going to have some really good players where she'll be able to point to her you'll be able to point to and say it wasn't just against the big East. Like she put up 21 on Texas and had 15 rebounds or, you know, Aaliyah Boston only scored 
17 points against her when UConn played South Carolina and UConn won. And for Aaliyah Boston, that's pretty good. Those sorts of things. So, yeah, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to necessarily predict that she will be an All-American, but she, if she has the type of year that Gino's envisioning and she's envisioning, and we've talked about her potentially having, she'll at least be in the conversation. Yeah, I think it could be tough because I think you also expect probably a really big season from Aaliyah Edwards and the, the two of them kind of end up canceling each other out a little bit in that All-American conversation when you're going to a national spectrum. But I don't think that speaks any less of like where York is going to be at this year. I think we're also probably just going to see hopefully a really good version of Aaliyah Edwards and what we saw at the end of last season. She played really well in that tournament that Canada just played in. So hopefully that's an indicator of what we're going to get there as well. I think of that every now and then. If Aaliyah Edwards just plays the way that she's played these last two marches for an entire season, she's going to be really good. (laughs) But if she takes a step forward, and I don't even know what that would be. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean... I mean, Ole Edwards is also a player that like could very well be in that All American conversation next year. So it's, it's yeah, it's hard to tell. Like you kind of can't have five All Americans, so it's always it's always interesting. <laughs> no, I mean, not to go into the starting lineup conversation. I know fans love it, but in July, but you got Paige, you got AZ, and then you know feels pretty safe to say that Dorka and Aaliyah are going to be in the starting lineup. Who that fifth person is, I'd probably guess that it's Caroline right now. There's a if if it is Caroline, there's a very real chance that all five of those players are at the very least in the discussion. There's not gonna be five All-Americans that come from UConn because they're gonna start voting for someone else after they tick Paige, AZ, and pick one of the other three. But there will at least be the conversation and they could very well end up in the finalists for those watch lists yes. and all those sorts of things. So um, people will yeah. be very mad. I can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah. Paige Becker's have a meltdown. Yeah. Paige is going to win all America or national player of the year and South Carolina fans are going to have an aneurysm because Aaliyah Boston's probably going to have as good of a year, if not a better year than she had this year when she won national player of the year. And they're not going to comprehend how could she do that and then not win it again. When again, Paige was yeah. injured for all of last year. There's a lot of things that South Carolina fans don't comprehend. So <laughs> not gonna worry about it. You're assuming that they comprehend anything. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I shouldn't mention my uh, travel plans in the next couple of weeks in certain colleges, campuses that I may be on. <laughs> if I survive that trip, I think we may need to do an emergency podcast as I'm speeding out of town. Yeah, I feel like you might need to wear a disguise if you're trying to go see that Asian Wilson statue. <laughs> yeah, I've got to start growing my mustache out now. Actually, no, I think there are photos of me with my mustache on the internet. <laughs> I have to get one of those, you know, in honor of the South, to honor the Civil War. Maybe I should get those mutton chops where it's <laughs> everything but the goatee. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that's not the day to wear, wear any Yukon gear. Yeah. <laughs> But again, not confirming or denying that I will be on that campus <laughs> if that campus exists. <laughs> just saying, a little terrified for that. Anyways, the last thing that I just wanted to mention about the summer workouts were 
the story that I wrote, but this was mostly Nika. UConn posted Nika mic'd up and she told Dorka to tell the people how to swear in Croatian. And then Dorka said it into the microphone and it all got bleeped out. Then they talked about it at Gina's golf tournament. And Nika's quote was, quote, they'd all know it, speaking of the Croatian curse words. I can't say it, but they all know it. <laughs> Dorka said that she knows all the bad stuff because she's played with Croatians in the past, and that's just what they've taught her. AZ said, quote, my favorites are the bad words. <laughs> and even Caroline said she knew a couple words, but that she could tell when they're swearing in Croatian or Hungarian because they get more aggressive. So just a hilarious little bit that they have going on and something that feels very appropriate for this team. Yes. <laughs> Looking at the former Huskies now, there's been a lot going on with them in the WNBA. The most headline worthy of which was Tina Charles departure from Phoenix to Seattle. That was not very amicable and led to her former teammates chanting F Tina Charles the next game after she left. What did you make of that whole breakup there? Because it was fit for the tabloids. Yeah, it was a lot. Honestly, to me, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like if this was, like, the NBA, we wouldn't make anything of it. So, like, who cares? But also, like, I feel like when Tina Charles signed with Phoenix, the whole point was to sign with a team where she could win a championship because she's nearing the end of her career. She hasn't won a ring. Obviously, that's not happening in Phoenix this year. Like, the season is not going how they had hoped. And she's moving on to something that hopefully can get her there. So, I don't know. I don't make much of it, to be honest. The WNBA drama is good. Drama attracts headlines. (laughs) And I don't know. This isn't even bad drama either. This is just like you said. This happens like 15 times a year in the NBA. This is basically like James Harden light. This is this is like James Harden, Ben Simmons make this look like nothing. Exactly. So <laughs> there is I it was just it seemed like it didn't fit with them. And that is what it is. She's with Seattle now. And I think she has a much better chance of winning a championship now that she's in Seattle because that Phoenix team is going nowhere. Yeah, I think it's funny when it came out that she was obviously departing ways with the Phoenix and it was kind of like, where is she going to land? And someone had tweeted that like the storm had the cap face and I was kind of just like, she's going to go to Seattle. They're going to like win a ring at Seuss final year, aren't they? Like that's what's going to happen. It's going to be like, it's literally like four UConn players in the starting lineup at this point. It's crazy. But yeah, I think Seattle is a good fit. She's got a good shot at getting that ring. It, it should be. An interesting Seattle team going to the playoffs. I told you there's no way Sue's going out without a ring. Yeah. No chance. Yeah. <laughs> it's happening. The, the, the happen. sky, the stars I'm, are aligning. Yeah. I'm trying to find the like standings. I feel like they're moving up there. They're like approaching first. Anyway. I genuinely do not even care about the standings. As long as they're in the playoff picture, that doesn't matter. They're going to win it all. I don't care how they do it. It's just going to happen. Yeah, I mean, they're in third right now behind the sky, which, like, I don't know. I don't really feel like Chicago's been that good. And then Vegas, which, like, Vegas has a wonderful starting lineup, but you're not going to win a championship in the WNBA with no depth, and they have absolutely no depth. So, 
there is nothing Vegas loves more than running through the regular season and then three Stooges-esque tripping on themselves the minute they get into the playoffs. Yeah, I also just, like, don't understand, like, what they've been doing because they've gotten nothing from their bench all season. Like, you had all this time to, like, get rid of people that were doing nothing and pick up other players that maybe would have done something and they didn't do anything. So, whatever. Again, the stars are aligning. (laughs) It's going to happen. It's it's destiny. Nothing can stop this. There's going to be some play in the playoffs where, you know, they need this miracle in order to win the game and survive. And they're going to pull off the miracle. And at that point, everyone's just going to accept that the Seattle Storm are winning the championship in Suburbs last year. It's that easy. Yep. <laughs> Elsewhere, Avina Westbrook signed a season-long contract with the Washington Mystics, which if you haven't followed Avina since our last podcast, it's probably news to you that she's on the Washington Mystics. But yes, this is not the first season-long contract she signed this season. I hope this one actually lasts throughout the season. Yeah, hopefully it does. I mean, the trade deadline was this Friday, so I think the movement should be kind of settling down to some extent. But yeah, ended that season-long contract in Minnesota, ended up on a few seven-day contracts in Washington and is now there through the rest of the season. So hopefully she'll she'll stay there through. I'm pretty sure Washington's making the playoffs. So through the playoffs. I am hoping to get to Washington at some point this year. I would love to watch Avino play in person. Again, this is where we need DHK for women's basketball, where I would love to rep an Avino Westbrook jersey, <laughs> but I'm not going to shell out $100 to do it. I'm yeah. sorry, Avina. <laughs> Probably my favorite person I've ever covered great person the washington arena is also it's small but it's like it's a fun arena it's a nice arena uconn was supposed to play georgetown there this past year and i was supposed to go to it and then COVID had to ruin everything (laughs) add it to the many things that COVID has ruined yeah i was so excited it was going to be wonderful i love washington dc I haven't been in so well, that's a lie. I went in 2019 for the like game five of the WNBA finals, but I was oh, yeah. there for 24 hours. So I don't really count that. Yeah. Work trips are different. Yeah. Like Minneapolis. Did I spend six days in Minneapolis? Absolutely. Could I, I tell you a single thing? No. <laughs> no. I spent one day, not even one day, half of one day walking around Minneapolis. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I saw the, like, underneath of an arena. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I could tell you about the arena area. I could tell you about block or two area around that. Anything else? I don't know. You're on your own. Yep. (laughs) But Washington's great. Chicago is great. Don't listen to what you hear about Chicago. Just don't venture into the neighborhoods you shouldn't venture into. Chicago is a great time, especially in the summer. Chicago is always fun. Yeah. I'm a little bit uh, of everyone that went to All-Star. I did not go. I don't know if I'd want to go to Chicago in like mid-January. Oh, it's horrible. I don't suggest it. I was there in mid-January for work the the time, I don't know, maybe it was 2019, 2018, where it like was literally so cold that it was negative 30 degrees out and the train tracks were catching on fire. Not a great time to go to Chicago. Why were the train tracks catching on fire? Something about like they couldn't handle the cold. I don't know. <laughs> That's fun. 
Yeah. They do have some sort of pedestrian walkway, though, for the cold, don't they? Or is that just in one very small section? Of the I think city? it's in one very small section. Not really. I don't know. I just ate it everywhere because work was packed for it. <laughs> oh, that's the move then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the nice thing about it was, of course, no one wants to go to Chicago when it's negative 30 degrees out. So you can stay at the Ritz for cheap. So that was nice. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that is the move. On that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Be sure to subscribe to our new feed. Tell your friends about it. Share it. Sign up for the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Sign up for the Chasing Perfection email feed if you would like. Read the UConn blog. Follow us both on Twitter. Megan, send us out. Like I should have known you were going to say that, and I still wasn't prepared. (laughs) We'll talk to you in a few weeks when we are both back in Connecticut. (laughs) Absolutely. That'll do it.